Um, but hey, I want to let you know that that's coming up next week, and the next week's also going to be exciting because we're kicking off a new series next week, and uh, we're calling it Restart. And, and you know, a series with that kind of title, like usually you see them at the first of the year. But if I had to guess, if I had to guess in January, a lot of us probably came up with some things that like we wanted to change, right? Maybe some goals that we had. Maybe even some of us had some, some spiritual things that we would like to see maybe improve. And here we are in April, and maybe nothing's changed, right? Like, and, and so our thought is, why not take something that we usually talk about at the beginning of the year, but instead let's talk about it after the year's already started as a way for us to just say, okay, let's, let's kind of recalibrate our hearts and get that shot in the arm in the middle of the year. Um, and hopefully, as a result, we'll all look more like Jesus from being part of it. So you don't want to miss the series. It is going to be a lot of fun. We're calling it, uh, we're, we're calling it Restart. But hey, today is Easter, and so it's pretty fun. It looks like a pastel bomb exploded in this place, so that's kind of cool. Uh, we went, I didn't get the memo. I went with dark green instead of light green. But uh, someone told me it looks like I was joining the army afterwards. So I don't know what that means, but um, I think that I am not strong enough to do that. So... Um, but we're so, so glad that you're here with us. Uh, we, we were sitting there thinking about this message and teaching team. And as we were talking about it, we started talking about things that, uh, that people predicted that they ended up getting wrong. And so we started coming up with all these things. And, and one of my favorite people that I follow on Twitter is a guy, and his name is Freezing Cold Takes. And, and essentially, this is what he does. He, he takes sports predictions... And anytime someone makes a prediction of some type of sporting thing, he, he catalogs it, and he saves it, and then when they get it wrong, he reposts it. So it's kind of like a really fun thing to follow. And, and needless to say, when Tiger Woods won the Masters last week, dude lost his mind. Because so many things have been said about Tiger Woods never being successful again. And this is the fa- my favorite one that I saw that he posted. It's a Deadspin article from 2016. It says, Tiger Woods is now golf's washed-up uncle. Not anymore. He has washed-up uncle with another green jacket. So he's doing okay. And, and even we were starting thinking about like other things. Because like sports isn't the only arena where people get things wrong. Uh, there was a scientist who was talking to the guy who wanted to invent the post-it note. I think you guys are well aware of what a post-it note is. You have a ton of them. They're not really big enough, but for whatever reason, you always buy them when you go to Office Depot. And, and someone, he was telling the inventor, the scientist was telling the inventor of the, of the post-it note, he said, what you are trying to do is scientifically impossible. That you cannot make something sticky enough that it will stick to a wall but not so sticky that it will rip off paint. Well, now we all have a million of them. We don't really know what they're used for, but they work, right? I, I came across an article from Time Magazine in 1966 where it was like talking about the future of shopping. And, and essentially, like, this article predicted like, online shopping was going to come, but the, the article said that though like, online or some type of um, remote shopping is going to come, that it will, it will never last because people aren't going to be able to get behind the idea of buying something they cannot touch before they buy it. To them, I would just say one word, Amazon. Maybe two words, Jeff Bezos. 
you know, maybe even three words, you were wrong. But still, like, it's there. They made the prediction. And then even I, I found this one, for those of you maybe who were alive when, when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he, uh, no one questioned, no one questioned, like, whether or not he could invent the light bulb. But a lot of people questioned, like, why you would need a light bulb. I don't know. Like, maybe... Maybe, but people were really hard. I mean, it, it, here's the thing with predictions, okay? Here's the thing with people who are passionate and they make predictions. When they do that and they get it wrong, they lose credibility. That when someone says something is going to happen, you need to believe me that this is going to happen, and that thing does not happen that person naturally loses credibility. And it made me think of something that Jesus said in, in Mark's gospel. He says, this is in Mark's gospel, chapter 9. And it says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man... He's speaking of himself. He's saying, I am going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill me. And when I am killed after three days, I will rise. Now, this is one of those statements that if it's correct, it, it really changes everything. That it's one of those things that <clears throat> that Jesus says, and if it, if it happened, then nothing can ever be the same again. And if it, if it didn't happen, then what we are doing right now is very, very silly. Because everything that we believe hinges on that event happening. Now, obviously, okay, we're, this is a church, like we believe that, if, that this happened at Easter Sunday, right? Like I don't know that anyone's surprised that we believe in the resurrection. But I would, I would be curious to what level are you willing to let the resurrection change you? Because if it happened, if this is an event that happened in history, a man raising from the dead, then there really is no room for middle ground. And so we, we believe that this happened, and we, Mark records this event in his gospel. Let me read it to you in Mark chapter 16. And he says this, It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the tomb who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? 
And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That if this is true, that if this happened, it has to change everything. And and what I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk about how the resurrection changes everything about you. And and the first thing that it changes, that if this event happened, is that it changes the way that you think. That you, you cannot be ambivalent about someone who makes those types of claims. That, that there, is, there is no middle ground with people like Jesus. Because either this thing happened, or Jesus is an incredibly wicked person. Because if there's no resurrection, then what that means is that means that Jesus organized it so that someone would come and steal his body. It means that that Jesus allowed people to worship him as God, and he tricked all of his closest followers into dying excruciating, humiliating deaths on his behalf because he said that he was going to raise from the dead. That you you can't look at him and just say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of hang out in the middle. And the resurrection is really the reason why. What some people will do, though, is they'll say, yeah, I really, I love I love his teaching, but I'm not sure that I believe in this whole resurrection thing. And really, like, that is the equivalent of you saying, you know what, Ryan, I like you, but I hate your kids. Like, those two things are pretty connected. That, that you can't just take one without the other. Because even if you say, like, I like his teaching, but I'm not sure about this resurrection thing, here's the problem with that. He taught that he was going to raise. That's part of his teaching. And then you start doing this thing where you're like, okay, well, I like this, so I'm going to pick this. And then what's the point of following him if you can't follow everything that he says? The, the, the resurrection, it transforms the way that you think by not leaving room for you to be ambivalent about Jesus. Even as you think of, if there, if there was a group of people who could get away with ambivalence, Like if there was a group of people who Jesus would have been okay with them kind of like being in this thing, it would have been his disciples. They heard all of his teaching. They did some miracles. He was very close to them. And and so Jesus, he raises from the dead. His disciples don't believe that he did. And this is how Jesus responds to them for not believing in the resurrection. Look at this. 
says, and he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. That action is important. It is important that you do the things that Jesus says. But it's also very important that you believe in the action that Jesus did too. A few years after Jesus rose from the dead, there was a man named Paul. And he wrote a letter that's in our New Testament. It's called First, First Corinthians. And in this letter, what he does, is he gives really like three truth bombs about the resurrection. And I just want to read them to you just so that we see how important this idea is. The first one is this in First Corinthians 15, verse 14. Paul speaking, he says, If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So essentially, if there is no resurrection, this is silly. That, that if there is no resurrection, you don't believe in a resurrection, but you're here, you need to find a better hobby. He says this, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So if you're here, you're a Christian, you believe that your sins have been forgiven. Why do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? It's because Christ has risen from the grave. And if he has not risen, then you've not been forgiven. And if you haven't been forgiven, then, then you have no hope. And then to that person who would say, I like his teachings, but I'm not sure about that whole resurrection thing. To you, this is what Paul would say. He would say, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. That if you follow Christ without believing in a resurrection, that's a bummer. Because our hope is in so much more than just having good moral teaching. But here's what I know. That while this is the linchpin of our faith, while this is essential, like, doctrine and belief, I also know there's something about it that's really difficult to wrap your mind around. But it, 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 let's be honest, you're here, it's Easter. Maybe someone invited you, or maybe someone brought you, and you're like, you get one a year, this is the one you get. And, and I would say I totally understand that there is, and, and, I don't, and I'm not so like dense as to think I can convince you that this happened in like the five minutes that I'm going to try to. But, but I, I would say, as you wrestle with this idea, and, and I'll be the first to acknowledge, it is difficult to believe this because I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. And I, I would imagine that no one in this room has seen anybody raised from the dead. And if you, if you have, don't come tell me after service that you have because I don't believe you. But, but still, though that is like the case, and though that it's tough, I would just say there are a few things about Jesus' resurrection that if you're going to choose not to believe in it, that you have to get around. And the first thing that you have to deal with as you think on Jesus' resurrection, that you cannot dispute, 
is you can't dispute the fact that the tomb was empty. That, that they never found a body. And, and, and that's incredibly compelling because if there was a body, someone would have found it. I mean, just even if you just go back in time and you look at the history of religion, here's what you'll find. You'll find that people are obsessed with relics. That if they can find something attached to a dead person, they are going to do whatever they can if it was a religious person to make money off of that thing. And, and, and with how rapid the gospel was spreading, think of the money they could have made on something that was attached to Jesus. That even in religions that aren't Christian, that, that when Buddha died, that someone came in and stole one of his teeth, and that even today in Sri Lanka, there is one of Buddha's teeth, and they bring it out from time to time, and that tooth in the eyes of those people, has incredible powers. They believe, they believe that that tooth can heal and do miracles. But actually, in an article that I read about it, it said that he who possesses the tooth also possesses the island. That as people, we are obsessed with this type of thing. That if someone could have found something attached to Jesus' body, they would have brought it out. And so not only do you have like, the religious people who would have probably tried to do this type of thing, but you also had people who weren't religious. And for 300 years, non-religious people wanted nothing more than to stop the spread of Christianity. That the Jews, they hated Christians. They would have done anything they could to stop the spread of it. That the Romans, they hated Christians. They would have done anything they could to stop the spread of it. And you know what would be really easy to stop the spread of Christianity? A body. You want to you you silence the message of the risen Savior? Just pull a body out and it's done. But no one was able to find it. Now you might think, well, what about the disciples? Well, I'll get to that in a second. So you've got, you've got to wrestle with the fact that th- there's an empty tomb. The other thing you've got to wrestle with, that you have to deal with, is that there are people who saw the risen Savior. That there are eyewitness testimonies of people who would say, I saw him. I mean, even if you look at that text that we read in Mark's Gospel, you notice what you see? Names. You see names. But if you look in Matthew's Gospel, you know what you're going to find? Names. John's Gospel? Names. I could keep going, but I'll stop. You get the point. You find names. Why? These Gospels would have been in circulation during the lives of the names that were dropped. So as Mark drops Salome's name or Mary's name, it's his way of saying, hey, if you don't believe me that this happened, go ask them. And, and if it didn't happen, they could say, no, that's not it. We anointed the body, and it's still in there. But all of them agreed with what was happening. Even, even Paul draws this out in 1 Corinthians 15, and he drops several names. Let me read this to you. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. This event happened in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. And he's he's saying most of whom are still alive. That's Paul's way of saying, ask them. If you know someone that was on the beach that day, go and ask them if they saw Jesus. Most of them are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Don't ask them. And then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. That's a lot of people who could say, yeah, that didn't happen. That's a lot of people who could say, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. In a, court of, in a court of law, that is very compelling evidence that you'd have to deal with. So you have these eyewitness accounts, and then you have the long-term impact on Jesus' followers. Because, now, now you might be thinking, okay, well, yeah, but people die all the time for things that, that they believe to be true. That's true. People believe all kinds of ridiculous things. There are people who believe that the earth is still flat. Like, I don't get it. Like, people will believe stuff that they believe to be true. But how many people are willing to die for something they know to be a lie? Because if you look at all of these people who follow Jesus, those closest to him, 10 of the 12, 10 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths that were humiliating, that were painful, and that would have been avoided if they simply would have recanted their faith in Jesus. The, the, the one who wasn't martyred, he was tarred and exiled to another island, and the other one was Judas. None of them, none of them recanted what they believed. And all, that's all it would have taken for them to save their lives, but none of them were willing to do it. And here's the thing, if you read the text, the text says they were there. The text says that this happened. That it happened, they wrote it down, and then they were killed for it. So you have to be willing to look at that. Because what the resurrection does is it challenges the way that we think. It removes our ability to be ambivalent about the person of Jesus. So he, sure, he cares about us knowing his teaching, but he also cares about us believing the right things about him. Not only does it change what we think, it also changes what we do. That, that the resurrection changes what we do. <clears throat> that Jesus, he, he calls us to something. That it's not just about knowing the right things. It's absolutely about that. But it's also about living in a way that says, I believe he rose from the dead. And that because he rose from the dead, he can demand things out of our life. He can ask things out of our life. And, and even as, as he right, raises from the dead, his disciples know that it happened. 
They're sitting around doing nothing, and Jesus shows up, and this is what he says to them. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now you're probably thinking, okay, yeah, you're going to bring up the serpent verse on Easter. Yeah, I did. And so you might you hear that, you're like, okay, so what? Okay, so what Jesus is doing there is he's prophesying over these men what their lives are going to be like. And if you read the book of Acts, what you'll find is you'll find those things actually happened to that group of men. That they, they did those things. That the application is probably not the same, though, for us in the room. So don't worry, we don't have the snakes. We'll bring them out next week. But, but the application for us is that he's calling you to an adventure. That he, he's calling you to be willing to take risks for him. That the life of faith, that the one who follows this risen Savior, that it is a lot of things, but one thing that I don't think that we can say, so we can't say that it's safe, but that sometimes you have to be willing to do things where you'll step out of your comfort zone. I'd be willing to say things maybe you wouldn't normally say. You've got to be willing to have action that maybe you wouldn't normally have. And what I love about even this text is that the first action that he mentions after he tells us to go and tell the whole world is you believe, and then what do you do? You get baptized. That's a great song. You love it. You gotta love it when they can't get to it quickly, you know, because then it's like, okay, that is the that's the first verse, okay. And now the child likes it too, so it's all good. But he he calls us to baptism. He says, hey, y- you believe, and then you get baptized. That you put your faith in him, and the natural response is that you get baptized. That from the very beginning of your journey, he calls you to something, and if you compare that to drinking poison, baptism seems kind of safe, doesn't it? But if he rose from the dead, you've got to be willing to do what he said. I mean, look at these actions, okay? Look at this. Like, this is an adventure. He's saying, when you follow me, this is what's coming. He says, you're going to cast out demons. You're going to speak in new tongues. You're going to pick up serpents with their heads. You're going to drink deadly poison. You're going to lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. He's saying, this is an adventure. 
that sometimes walking with Jesus, what that means is that you're going to do things when you walk with him that you might never have considered doing before. That sometimes walking with Jesus, what that means is that means that you get the best story in the room. That sometimes walking with Jesus means that you are going to have to put yourself in situations where he either is going to have to help you or you're going to look really silly. (laughs) That this is how he wants us to walk with him. This is what he wants us to do. That the resurrection, it changes what we think. changes what we do, and finally, it changes how we feel. Really, it changes how we respond to our feelings. That in this life, you're going to feel all kinds of emotions. That in this life, the the emotions are going to happen. But what the resurrection does, it helps us respond. And even if you look at that day where Jesus rose, that those who were confronted by the fact, even though they were told there was going to be a resurrection, man, they still they still felt something. They still had a it was a very emotional moment. Look at look at this. It says, and they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with them as, with him as they mourned and wept. But they're all confronted with emotion. But, because he rose, they're able to respond differently. And in his life, like you're going to be confronted with emotions. The things are going to happen to you, and you're probably not even going to know why. But because he rose, where there was fear and hopelessness, Because he rose, now there is hope and expectation. Because if he has the power to conquer the grave, then there is nothing in your life that he can't take on. And and because of the cross, we can know that our emotions, that though they are there and they are real, that because of the cross, we can know how God responds. Because the cross shows us that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our emotional wreck, the cross shows us that God, he understands. That that on the cross, Though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And on the cross, he felt 
everything you would have felt if you would have been up there in his place. All the pain, he felt it. He knows what pain feels like. But how does he know what pain feels like on the cross? Why was he up there? He was up there because he was betrayed by one of his friends. So he knows what it feels like when you're betrayed. That, that on the cross, he was humiliated. Just think of being fully God with the power to walk off of the cross. But staying up there as people mock you and say there's no way that you're God. He knows what it feels like to be humiliated. That you have a God when you're in your pain who can identify with what you're going through because he's gone through the same things. He knows how you feel. So not only does the cross show us that, the cross also shows us that he understands, but it also shows us that he cares. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. That, that he wanted to create a way for you to be able to someday be delivered from pain. And the only way he could do that was through the cross. So he understands your pain, and he cares about your pain. And you see that as you look at the cross. But here's the thing. Today's not about the cross. Today's about the resurrection. And what the resurrection shows us is that because Jesus conquered death, that the day will come where you will too. That his fate in the grave is the same as yours. That in the same way that he rose, you will too. And where you will raise and you will go is a place where there will be no more pain. Where there will be no more hurting. There will be no more feelings of worthlessness. But it will be a place that he has created for you so that you can experience his joy. That because he rose, that is our hope. He talks about it here in Revelation chapter 21. Talking about this place. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is our hope. The death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He will make all things new. So maybe you're here this year. I, I just wish it was over. Maybe you had a situation and you're just like, gosh, I, I hate this. Here's what you can know. That if your faith is in Christ, where you are today is not where you'll be forever. But that he has something that is far better for you than you could ever imagine. And in the same way that Jesus conquered death, that you can too 
so long as your faith is in him. I came across this quote by D.L. Moody, and I want to read it to you. He said, one day, one day soon you'll hear that I am dead. Do not believe it. I will be as alive as never before. That this is the fate of all whose faith is in Jesus. And this is our fate. Only if he rose. Because if he did, it changes everything. Let's pray. Thank you for watching our services. If you have questions or you would like more information, you can visit us online at nlspringfield.com. We'd also love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning services. We have programs at 9.30 and 11 for adults, students, and kids. We hope to see you there.